Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, the Spark Conference. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Now let's join today's broadcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our broadcast today. And it's a pretty fun one today. Uh, Ray Sullivan and I are co-hosting this one. Um, Ray, uh, as many of you know, is our discipleship consultant in the Southwest and Southeast regions, but he's been a pastor for nearly 30 years. Now, normally when you pastor, you count every month and day. So I'm sure Ray actually has that statistic. But Ray, welcome to the broadcast. How are you this morning? I am wonderful. It's good to be with you guys this morning in Southwest Georgia this morning. In the Southern Kingdom, keeping it keeping it real down there in Southwest. So um, uh, for those of you I have not met, my name is PJ Dunn, and I'm the discipleship consultant in the Northwest and Northeast regions. And I love advocating for single adults. And I'm sure that'll come up today during our broadcast on discipleship. And then I want to introduce you, Beverly Skinner. Beverly is the Baptist Collegiate Ministry Director with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. Beverly, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to be here this morning. Yeah, thanks for taking a little bit of time and joining us. I know that you have a busy uh, schedule and a lot going on, uh, so thank you for your time. And then we also have David Williams. David is the BCM campus minister at Valdosta State University, which I am proudly going to represent today. Uh, thank you for the free shirt. We always take those in ministry um, and need them. And he's previously the FCA area director uh, down there in Southwest Georgia uh, and a pastor for nearly eight years, but I think he does know how many days. So David, welcome to the broadcast. What's up, brother? Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I'm glad that y'all are all on here. We really do have some um, in-the-field Georgia ministry experts on the today's broadcast, and we're excited to have you on here. And um, man, if you just want to take a second and share this with somebody, we encourage that. If you want to make a comment, uh, both of those will get you entered to win free swag. Maybe we can get a couple of uh, BCM shirts or some hats. Hey, or, for sure, absolutely. Like that yeah, yeah, we'll pass some of those out, spread the love around Georgia. Uh, so go ahead and make a comment, share this with somebody. Um, we won't sign you up for a free credit card, even though we're talking to college age. All right. So on today's broadcast, what we're talking about is the transformation from high school uh, to college, that collegiate age to single adult regarding discipleship, because there's certainly a uniqueness here when we look at um, how even the brain develops during that same time period but also environmentally um, and adulting, right? There's this aspect that is different from a 15-year-old to a 25-year-old that's pretty unique because the jump from a 25-year-old to a 35-year-old doesn't have as many challenges. It doesn't have as many changes in it um, as that age does. So primarily what we're looking at is Gen Z. So we're talking about this Generation Z and, and Springtide Research is a company that um, I go to to look for current statistics on this, and they listed a couple that I think are relevant to our discussion on discipleship today. One is that 52% of this generation have little to no trust in organized religion, and that's important to note that they're talking about organized religion. Right? I mean, we do not believe in whatever that organization is or have no trust that what they're telling us is correct, and they've grown up in a generation where they, they honestly have a lot of reasons to question a lot of mainline denominations, right? And so they just don't have this trust 
in, in, in the organized part of it. But a third of them uh, do say that the faith community is not important, which actually means two-thirds of them find their faith community to be important. So, so they do know that faith community is important, that relationship with somebody is important, and it, it should be in their life. But right alongside that one is that one in five say they don't even try to live out their beliefs. And so we have this whole entire generation that says, I think it's important, but I don't know what it is. And, and, and that is really where discipleship comes in, because we want to teach these principles. We want to say, hey, this is God's word. This is the truth. And we want you to live it out, right? We want you to have the fruit of the spirit in your life. And so um, I want to ask you, David, and, and to kick off our time together, you know, how have you seen Gen Z interact regarding their faith? Uh, in their discipleship journey during your time as pastoring. Um, and you led a really successful local FCA. So you've seen a lot of different contexts of that. Um, just give us some of your thoughts on that issue. Yeah, man. Uh, so it's so obviously I'm brand new. I've been only been on the job for a couple months. But one thing I've learned the difference between high school and college students is that uh, they ask a lot of questions. Like they want to know anything and everything and they don't want to know the why. Everything is the why. Uh, my wife and I literally joked the other day. It's like, I kind of just want to have a conversation with a college student where we just get to hang out and we don't have to go to like the deepest, darkest part of like the conversation and of your life and give you counseling or wisdom in every aspect. Um, and so it's interesting, like kids that were um, believers in high school, they almost seemed less interested in, in ongoing learning. Whereas when believers in college, they were so challenged by, in their faith by everything going on around them that they, they actually begin to seek and ask more questions. Um, of course, the challenge is getting them to ask questions um, to the right people uh, in, a, in a healthy way. Yeah, so that's interesting. So the questions, um, you know, that might even be an indicator that we don't have discipleship programs in our high school um, bracket that allow enough questions. So maybe we're so focused on teaching the, the theology and doctrine that we don't forget to have a conversation with them. And this generation wants to have a conversation. They want to have a relationship. So, you know, they go yeah. off to, to Valdosta and they meet uh, David, who's, you know, I think you're about five foot tall, somewhere in that range. And they say, man, I'm going to ask that guy these questions because I've never felt in a safe environment to ask it. Many of these people grew up uh, in their church their whole lives, you know, and sometimes it's awkward to ask that question. So what you're saying is discipleship starts to be expressed as questioning, right? Would you it say? Does, absolutely. And, and I, I asked one of our primary college students the other day about this broadcast and what they thought. And, and, and that's literally what she said. She said, students are wanting to ask questions without leaving their faith, but they don't feel they have a safe place to do it. And so that's why a lot of them are looking uh, outside the church for answers because um, they're really, they, of course, everybody uses this word, but it's the word she used. They, they're looking for authenticity. Mm. They're looking for someone to say, hey, ask me anything and I'll give you what um, scripture says or the best I can from that. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic transition from high school to college. I think a lot of it just depends, you know, when they get into that brand new environment, that's when they're challenged. Like, OK, is my faith real? And if it is, I need some answers to my faith. Yeah, that's so good, David. I, pre I appreciate you sharing that. And some people may not know as we're on here today that we've got Beverly Skinner and Beverly has been working with the mission board for 
for a while now, but really in Baptist women. But Beverly, your background was in students. I mean, you have been on college campuses and working with students uh, for, well, let's just say many years. We'll just <laughs> we'll just put it that way. We won't Thank you, throw Greg. that out there. But so working alongside college students, and you've done that in different places, um, in different states as well. What, what do you what do you see as the as the the next steps uh, for students while at college in this time of transition? What what's your experience taught you in that? Right. You know, we talk about millennials and then Gen Z and um, different generations of students, and they do have unique characteristics. Like each generation does have some things that are unique to it. And Gen Z is very different than millennials. But what is common through students, and I have I have worked on campuses for a number of years, and so I've seen more than one of those generational um, groupings come through and finish and become adults, and then the next one come through. And really what happens across the board when a student leaves high school and comes to college in terms of faith they're going to decide if they're going to own it themselves. This is the point at which um, if a, if a student was raised in church, especially when I think about, you know, some of our smaller Southern Georgia towns, if they grew up going to church and um, because mom and dad made them go, or maybe they had a really great youth group experience and, and they really liked that. But then if they leave home and go to school, and even if they don't leave home to go to school, if they stay at home, they're going to school somewhere nearby or they're working and taking some classes, this is the point at which a young adult begins to say, do I really believe this for myself? Mm -hmm. Mom and dad have taught me this, a youth minister taught me this, but do I believe it for myself? And so we pray that the next step that they take is, let me find out. Let me do some investigation. Exactly what David said. They're asking questions. And uh, I think in that process, this is why I believe so strongly in Baptist collegiate ministry. And I'm so thankful to Georgia Baptist through their giving that makes it possible for us to have trained full-time ministers on most of our camp, our large campuses, at least, and um, part-time and volunteer other places. They want a person to walk alongside them. And they are, um, it's great. And they do that discipleship in community with peers and they learn together. And I think that's great. But, But students who want to own their own faith, they want a spiritual mentor to walk with them through it. And so that next step they take is, I want to own it for myself and who can help me to do that and who can help me to understand and go deeper in my faith. Yeah. yeah. That, go ahead. So true, David. And I let me throw this out here to you, David, to you and to Beverly, because Beverly, you mentioned this. How do you think that would be different or how do you think that plays out differently with students that maybe leave home and go to college, they're on campus, maybe those that are staying there, they're commuters, maybe even those that are not going to college. Maybe they've just hit that 18 and they're working in their local community. I mean, I guess they're still having to take ownership, but how do you think that looks and plays out differently in those different environments? Well, obviously I think a major difference. When a student leaves home to go to college, there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of transition that happens there that doesn't happen when a student stays at home. And, and to use kind of common 
current vernacular, it's almost a, a, a trauma experience. It's not a bad trauma experience usually, but there's so much change that happens. And all of a sudden that student who's away from home making choices for themselves, um, and they've been making choices for themselves, but now they're making those choices and there's nobody watching. Yeah. And they're deciding, how will I live when mom and dad are not watching? The teachers I've always known are not watching. My my church leaders are not watching. So that's a that's a change. And there's some independence and some ownership that comes as a result of that. Uh, when a student stays at home, that transition can happen, but it's a little slower and they have to be more proactive about it. And so you might find a student, especially a student who grew up in church, they might make a decision. Okay, I've graduated from high school. I'm working. I'm going to school, but I'm living at home. I'm going to go to a different church in my community. And sometimes that can be hard on a family, but mm. that's a way that a student is taking a step of independence toward owning their own faith. And I think that'd be the same. The same thing is true if somebody stays at home, but they're not in school, they're working e- either one of those scenarios. That's a quick answer. I don't know. What yeah, I think, yeah, for those of us that went to seminary, you remember this probably more than you do when you're in college. When you went to seminary, you were immersed into a world full of like people who love Jesus, and you were deeply impacted by the, the teachings. And so collegiate ministry is, you, these students are coming out of a fairly safe environment, a settled world into a world where ideas are flowing, and everything and every every thought is being questioned. And, and so those students then that's where the wrestling comes in. It's like, okay, I really need to make some decisions. Is this faith real? And that's when they start seeking questions. And, and that's where like my role has been so beneficial. I have a, uh, my office is on campus and I just leave the door open all the time. And I went ahead, I took out all the desks except for like a little round dinner table. And the, the kids just come and they sit at my desk and whatever's on their heart, whatever they want to talk about, that's what we talk about. And, and we have so many life conversations because they just have questions and they, they don't want to sit there and read a book. They don't want to go ask 10 people. They just want a person they can trust. And, and, I, and I, that's why I'm here and I'm available for them. So maybe they don't want a six week lesson on it. They just want a conversation. They just want an easy way to have a conversation with someone they trust. Yeah, And Ray, Ray, you're saying it right. So we're, we're people over program. And you're going to hear that over and over on this broadcast that we're about the person, not the program. We do use programs and processes to reach people and certainly to teach discipleship and to have those spiritual formations in our lives. But man, if you don't show up for the person, you know, the, the program's not going to succeed. And, and so like what you're saying, David, in that environment, um, you know, so for me, my, my, my experience was I started off at the university of Tennessee. So like party school, uh, go big orange. All right. I've offended a lot of people. Don't jump off the broadcast. It's okay. Just hang out. Um, and then I went to, uh, (laughs) and then I went to, um, uh, Wright state university, moved back to Ohio and graduated at a school that was almost all commuter students. And so the, the drastic difference in, in the room, you know, and how the teaching is and the teacher and all those relationships, very different. Um, one, you know, trying to get connected on campus, 
and the other living with my parents and trying to get connected to a local church, like you were saying, and finding a church that my parents didn't go to because I wanted to, to make my way forward. You know, I wanted to do that. So I, I kind of had a seat in all of those at some point, And I was also working the entire time. So I never stopped working from the time I was 16, always worked at Walmart or Sam's club. And, and so those jobs carried with me. So I was also the working person that couldn't just you know, hang out in the evenings and, you know, I was working 40 hours a week and doing school. So, so it is different steps for all of those. And so the uh, takeaway at this point in the broadcast for sure is that we have to know the target. We cannot just assume that everybody's in college and they're living the best, you know, their best borrowing money dreams and living on campus and doing all those things. Right. But we have to really know who that person is um, so that we can have the right next step for them. And so Ray, I, I feel like you've had some experience with this, with your family and raising your two sons and being a pastor of nearly 30 years. Um, you know, you've gone through different seasons of life and, and it's fun because you've helped me uh, in raising Harper, who's eight years old and, and just raising her and you, you being like, man, I remember when my boys were this age and you need to focus in time and do that. And that's honestly part of the factor of buying a camper, you know, and trying to spend more time at this age because it'll change. Um, and so you've seen them go through this life stage, this this 15 to, to 25, now up on closer to 25. Um, so tell me about their discipleship pathways. How's, how's that look different in their journeys? Yeah, I think, you know, let me speak at it from, I mean, a parent's view, but but a pastor's view as well, because, you know, my fear, I watched students grow up in our student ministry, go to college and basically just disappear. Um, disconnect. And that that was a fear that I had as a pastor. What's going to happen to my kids? You know, will, will my boys, you know, continue to be involved? Will they get connected in BCM? Will they get connected in a local church? And so we, we had a lot of conversations about that, talking about that, and a lot of prayer uh, in that. But I think what you said is so important. The one thing I've learned is this, it's, I wanted the, them to get connected to a program, to a church program or something what I didn't really realize at the time is the importance of just connecting in relationships and the right relationships. And so when, when they went to school, you know, I encouraged them to get involved with BCM and, and they did, they went, but they didn't really connect the way in BCM that I wanted them to. Now we know hundreds and thousands of students do, and that's wonderful. And that kind of scared me a little bit that, that they weren't really connected. And I think, I think what we see sometimes is it's just, it's just timing and people and different, you know, different groups at different times. But here's what happened when they went to college, both of them went to have two boys and both of them found the local church in the area. That was the, the, the blowing and going, you know, where all the college students went and had the great worship and, and all of that. And I was glad they were going, but they weren't connecting. And um, my prayer was that they would connect. Here was the beautiful thing that God did. Both of them realized that early. And it was a neat thing to watch. And they, both of them said, you know, this is really not the place for us. We enjoy it. We like the worship, but they were looking for connections. And so both of them went kind of different ways. Uh, my youngest son connected um, uh, with the church and uh, he connected with a couple of older guys in the church that invited him into a group. And uh, he kind of connected into that. And it's still now he's graduated, married, works in that town, is leading a group in that church of young couples. And so he was looking for relationships, connections. My oldest son uh, went to another church. He connected with the pastor. Now, here, here's what I want to talk to pastors and guys out there today. A lot of times, this was a much smaller church. 
and they didn't have the worship and they didn't have all of that stuff. And this pastor here, here's what Colin said to me. He said, dad, I went the first time he introduced himself to me. When I went back the next time he called me by name and he connected with that pastor, that guy invited him to lunch said, Colin, tell me what you're going through. Tell me, tell me how our church can help you. And so while he spent time in college, he was very connected to that church. There weren't a lot of students in that church, but God used that pastor in that church for his time. So what I was looking for, I wanted them to connect, and I thought they were going to connect in a certain way, but the issue was they needed to connect. And so they found ways. So I would just encourage you, you know, we've got BCMs and they're doing a, an amazing job. And we know a lot of our Baptist students are going to connect there, but don't believe just because you're a pastor in one of these areas, or you're a pastor that doesn't have a, doesn't have a, a, um, a college ministry in your church or in your town that you can't connect with these singles and these students during this transition, because the same things that David and Beverly are saying, they've got questions. They want somebody to talk to. They don't just need a program. They're not just looking for six steps. They just want a relationship with somebody. And isn't that what Jesus did in Mark chapter three, it says that Jesus called the 12 and it says, so that they might be with him. You know, just that whole idea of connection. So I, I think really oh, you're getting preachy, Pastor. No, nah, no, I got to stop. Back, um, right. We're gonna we're gonna sing just as I am in a minute. But um, <laughs> I think that was the big thing for them. And so I, I I praise the Lord in that. And both of them now are connected in churches. And um, so yeah. And God. and why don't we talk about that, David and 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 Beverly? Um, just talk to us about how the BCM is partnering with churches for that exact situation. It's not just the office experience, right? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I would in BCM we we exist as a we are a cooperative ministry of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, local associations, and local churches. And so the way that we have BCM on campus is all of those entities working together. Mm-hmm. And BCM um, we we do some we do worship, we do disciple. Our our five priorities are evangelism, discipleship, missions, student leadership development and church involvement. We are feeding students back into churches. And I appreciate what you said, Ryan, and I would echo that and it to speak directly to churches that are say that maybe run 250 or less people in worship. Don't think that your church can't minister to college students in your community because there are many, many students looking for churches like that. Sure, if you're in Athens or you're in um, Statesboro, there's big churches with big college ministries, and, and there are students who that's the right fit for them. But there's a lot of students that are looking for that smaller church experience and, and that community there. And so at BCM, we, um, matter of fact, this is one of our kind of hallmarks, and, and it's frankly one of the ways that we're able to be a registered student organization on so many state campuses is because we don't represent just one church. We represent all the churches in an area, and we want students to learn about those churches, to know them, and we want churches to be investing with us on campus day in and day out. We have opportunity at BCM to be kind of a a front door for students, um, especially in terms of evangelism and sharing the gospel with students who don't know Christ. Uh, we have a unique opportunity to do that through BCM that that honestly a lot of churches won't have 
they won't have that just because they don't have the access to the students right. that we do. Right. Uh, but then we want to, we do discipleship and, and, and I do want to speak to that just very briefly to say, yes, the people connection is first, but in BCM, we, we have a plan. We have a discipleship yes. development plan because we want to develop lifelong disciple makers who disciples who make disciples. And so we have a plan of development for that. And so we meet them and connect with them, but then we are plugging them into small groups and leadership and other things and missions that helps them grow as disciples. But we also are plugging them into local churches. Yeah. yeah so David, our language. Yeah. So David, talk, talk, talk about that, David, because you came from a uh, local church, you were pastoring, and now you're serving with BCM, and it's all very fresh for your eyes and connecting all of those dots on on-campus and local church. So tell us tell us your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, I think convict- convictionally, uh, I fell in this place, and it certainly helped that I came from being a pastor into collegiate ministry. Just the idea that the gospel should primarily flow through the local church, you know, either in discipleship, both in discipleship and evangelism. And so the <laughs> emphasis we're we're pushing right now is we're asking churches to, to own the process of discipleship more than um, perhaps they have in the past. We want to hand them uh, this opportunity to build those relationships that we're talking about. And so we call that community groups. Uh, but another way we're partnering with churches is we're, we're asking them to adopt a building to reach. And so the idea is that we will uh, ask them to strategize how they will reach that building of students. And so they'll pray through that. They'll resource that. They'll plan that. We'll partner with them in getting them on campus and helping them serve in whatever outreach they plan. And so we're really trying to bridge that gap a little more than um, than maybe before where we're saying, hey, church, let's do this together. Um, and so, of course, that takes time and things like that. But, you know, Lord willing, I think it'll start to come together. Man, that is so good. So good. PJ, it's so hard because we're running out of time. Man, no. uh, I know this this conversation, we can keep talking. But I really wanted to I wanted to talk to you for a minute. And if you can kind of start wrapping us up here. Because I have learned so much from you as just being a, um, you know, singles ministry, you know, being a pastor for 30 years, I always struggled in that area. What does that look like? And so we're, we're talking about transition here. So if you can kind of wrap this conversation up by, by answering a question for me. All right. So let's see if I can put this the right way. When does adulting happen? Right. So when, when can we actually say that people begin to identify as an adult? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And you're right. It's, it's, uh, and so I'll, I'll try to tame the, the fire hose of information and just say um, that when uh, adulting, that phrase that we throw out from time to time really does happen when somebody takes ownership of their life and they say, okay, Lord, it's not my life, but yours, right? The ownership isn't that I'm in control, but the ownership is that you're in control. And that's one of the pivotal points in a disciple-making process is when you realize that you're not the centrality of everything, but Jesus is. And so part of that ownership and adulting and disciple-making is really living that out every day, right? So you could do that when you're younger. You could do that when you're older. Some people never make it. And we're like, man, they're they're non-functional adults. You know, you hear that phrase from time to time, but it's not because they're single. It's because of their maturity of their walk. Now that may be with the world but also their walk with the Lord, right? And so generally speaking, right, the age 22 is when we start to see people 
using that nomenclature of single, right? We don't, we don't call 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds single, even though the government actually does call them single. When, when you're kind of to that mid-20s range, you start to see a different identifier there. And so um, we'll probably come back and touch that on another broadcast. But the reason that it's so important to see that development is because that 10-year window is significant. And if we just say we're going to reach young families and young married couples, you're not hitting it. Because that first, uh, the average age for a first-time marriage in America is 31 for guys and 29 for women. And so the local church has to understand this is not just a college student that's full-time living in a dorm. This is a person that's in your pew and in your community, and you can grow your church this way. You can grow people. You don't have to wait for them to be married with two kids for them to fit into your process. And sometimes we're just waiting for them, like somehow that's adulting. But we know plenty of married people who have not adulted. They have not done it very well. And we can list a couple people in our minds. And so, so I think the importance for the local church in this broadcast and disciple making is to really just to see how the, that window of 10 years is really important, but how that window really is singles and just calling it what it is. We do have some people that marry in their early and mid 20s for sure, but a lot of them are going to start asking uh, David and Beverly when they're about to graduate college and they're not married and they go, what do I do? I thought I'd get married and have a house by now. Yeah. And, and that's not happening for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, um, but that's scary. And it feels like, man, I, I don't know what to do now with my life. I thought, do I move back with mom and dad? So there's a whole lot of things to do with that. So, um, man, I just want to, I want to thank everybody for being on the broadcast today. Y'all, y'all have done a fantastic job uh, opening a can of worms uh, that is now officially open. And so Beverly Skinner, uh, thank you so much for your time. And David, thank you so much for your time for being on today's broadcast. Both of you are able to be reached uh, at the mission board. We'll put your emails in the chat. Um, uh, Ray and I would love to meet with your church to help you connect with this age group. Um, I would say even since Spark Ray that we're getting more requests for how do we reach this 20-something demographic? And we're saying, hey, we're partnering with BCM and we're talking about singles. And so the, the conversation is really starting to change of how do we reach people and who are they? So just want to say thank you um, to the mission board for, for being uh, supportive of this broadcast and doing this. And that is funded through the cooperative program. We are better together and we are grateful for everything your, your church does to fund that. And so thank you for that. Um, Y'all go and make disciples. Put in the chat if you're doing this at your church, if there's any way that you would like to share with somebody else. Um, but as you go and make disciples, just remember who our target is, uh, who we're reaching and be for the person, not the program. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.